Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about an important new set of regulations on something called information blocking. This is a brand new set of rules that could have a very direct impact on PTs and PTAs. Now, like a lot of regulatory changes, this may sound intimidating, but never fear. We just happen to have three people on this podcast who have plumbed the depths of the new regulations and can help us get a better understanding. Joining me today are Bob Latz, a PT who's Chief Information Officer for Trinity Rehab Services and Chair of the Technology Special Interest Group of uh, Health Policy and Administration, the Catalyst, otherwise known as HPA. Bob's also HPA's Technology and Innovation Director. Also with us is Matt Elrod, a PT and Senior Clinical Informaticist for MaxMD, a Health Information Service Provider, Registration Authority, and Certificate Authority accredited by the Electronic Healthcare Network Accreditation. Matt's also a member of HPA, as well as a member of the APTA Frontiers in Rehabilitation, Science, and Technology Council. And last but not least, Kara Gaynor, an attorney and APTA Director of Regulatory Affairs. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for being here. Now, before we really get into it, here's a little background. So where did this all come from? The whole issue of information blocking can be traced back to the 21st Century Cures Act, which was signed into law in December of 2016. Part of that law is intended to promote interoperability among EHRs, and it directed the Office of the National Coordinator, or ONC, for health IT to issue regulations that govern the development of health IT standards. The law also includes a prohibition on information blocking and charged HHS, ONC, to create regulations on information blocking, as well as to identify reasonable and necessary activities that do not constitute information blocking. It also authorized penalties for interfering with the exchange of electronic health information. Then on May 1st, 2020, CMS issued a final rule on interoperability and patient access that requires Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, and qualified health plans on federally facilitated exchanges to provide their members with electronic access to their claims and encounter data. On that same day, ONC issued a final rule that put forward new information blocking regulations designed to make information available to patients and requesters as soon as possible with as few extra steps or delays as possible. All of which begs the questions, just what is information blocking? Well, we'll get into that in more detail shortly, but the quick answer is information blocking is a practice by a health IT developer of certified health IT, a health information network, a health information exchange, or a healthcare provider that is likely to interfere with access, exchange, or use of electronic health information, or EHI, except as required by law or specified by HHS as a reasonable and necessary activity. So who does this apply to? A lot of entities, including PTs and PTAs. Healthcare providers, certified health IT developers, and HINs and HIEs must comply with these information blocking regulations. The deadline for compliance is April 5th, 2021. In other words, very soon. And the rules have teeth. Failure to comply with the regulations can result in financial penalties for certified health IT developers and health information exchanges and health information networks. There will also be disincentives for healthcare providers, but those haven't been defined yet. The basic idea is this. 
Information blocking rules are designed to break down barriers that limit the exchange of information and compel the healthcare industry to improve the sharing of electronic information with patients and between organizations. And like I said, these rules directly affect PTs and PTAs across settings. But it's not just about disincentives and penalties. The rule also allows providers to think more strategically about how they exchange health information. Okay, so I'm throwing around the term info blocking and APTA has developed a number of resources on the topic and we'll talk about those resources in a bit. But first, Kara, can you summarize the info blocking rules published by ONC? How is this related to the CMS interoperability and patient access rule published on the same day? Sure, thanks Troy. Uh, that was a great intro and a great summary of information blocking and who it applies to. And so as you noted, information blocking rules apply to healthcare providers, uh, developers of certified health information technology and health information networks or exchanges. And so to basically summarize what info blocking is and the rules around it, although nothing in the information blocking rules is meant to require disclosure of requested electronic health information in a way that would be prohibited under HIPAA or other law, if you're permitted to disclose electronic health information, then you're now required to do so to avoid potential information blocking violations. But as you noted, there are exceptions. There's actually eight exceptions. Uh, but engaging in information blocking can lead to disincentives for healthcare providers, financial penalties, or both, depending on the type of actor. An actor is in reference to the individuals and entities that we referenced earlier, the providers, health IT developers, and health information networks or exchanges. And ONC, Office of National Coordinator for Health IT, hasn't yet established the info blocking disincentives for healthcare providers, but we do expect more information around that uh, to be released in the near future. Now, I also want to clarify for listeners what electronic health information is. ONC defined electronic health information or EHI as the electronic protected health information in a designated record set as defined in HIPAA regulations, regardless of whether the actor is a covered entity. And the designated record set is a group of records that typically includes medical records and billing records, enrollment, payment, claims adjudication, and case or medical management record systems maintained uh, by that provider and other records that are used in whole or in part by or for the covered entity to make decisions about individuals. However, the scope of electronic health information it, that must be shared in response to a request to access, exchange, or use EHI beginning April 5th, 2020 is actually phased in. So until October 6th, 2020 you must at minimum respond to a request for EHI with the data represented in the current version of the US core data for interoperability. And Bob and Matt will talk about that uh, in a few minutes. And US core data for interoperability is frequently referenced as USCDI. So this means that until October 6, 2020-22, the health information, the electronic health information that corresponds to the data elements included within the USCDI, for example, progress notes, which our listeners can probably think of as treatment notes, 
uh, will be required to be included in a response to a legitimate request for access exchange or use of EHI. And then on October 6, 2020-22 and after, the definition of EHI expands to that of electronic protected health information included in the designated record set. So at that time and beyond, you would be required to make such electronic protected health information available for access exchange and use when legally permissible. So I know I'm going on quite a bit, but I do just want to mention the CMS interoperability rule that uh, you mentioned because it is related, but it imposes the CMS rule that was released on the same date as the ONC info blocking rule. It imposes requirements for payers as it relates to the exchange of information and sharing with patients their electronic health information. So the CMS rule requires payers to implement and maintain a secure application programming interface that allows patients to easily access their claims and encounter information, including cost. And payers also are going to have to make provider directory information publicly available via a standards-based application programming interface or API. And they also will be required to exchange clinical data at the patient's request thereby allowing the patient to take their information with them as they move from payer to payer. Now in this rule, CMS also states that they'll start identifying providers as information blockers based on how they attest to the merit-based incentive payment system or MIPS promoting interoperability category. So knowing which providers are or are not information blockers is theoretically designed to help patients choose those providers who are more likely to support their electronic access to their health information. And then just some other things within the rule include CMS is going to be requiring hospitals to select to send electronic patient event notifications of a patient's admission, admission discharge and or transfer to another healthcare facility or to another community provider or practitioner thereby improving care coordination by allowing a receiving provider facility or practitioner to reach out to the patient and deliver appropriate follow-up care in a timely manner. So there's a lot happening in this space and there's a lot to be aware of and just know that there's a lot that likely will be coming out in the future. Uh, with the change in administration, there's the, the, the issue of interoperability and info blocking and transparency and access to information will continue to be a priority. And so hopefully the discussion we have today offers some additional insight into this area, but know that the conversation shouldn't stop here. There's more learning to be done. There's more uh, likely to be more information coming down the pike. So. Uh, please stay tuned. But I know that was a lot. So Troy, I'll turn yeah. back. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a lot. Uh, but thank you. And I guess the real question is, after we hear how much of a lot it is, do these rules actually affect PTs and PTAs? Um, Bob, what's your take on that? So I think the short answer is yes. Um, and, and I think first, if we go back to the intent of the rule, the intent, as uh, Kara alluded to, is that data follows the person. And the purpose for that is to improve the care and improve the outcomes across healthcare. So yes, uh, it matters to PTs, PTAs, it does uh, affect us. We are providers as described under the information blocking rule and as providers, um, claims can be brought against us. The other piece that I wanted to bring up and this was alluded to um, both Kara and Troy, you both mentioned, but 
Um, the idea of information blocking is that it, um, anything that prevents or materially discourages the access exchange or use of EHI. And so when we think of that from a physical therapy perspective, it's not only improving the care, um, so our documentation going elsewhere to improve that care, but there's instances where we may be able to use the, um, the argument to get information if we are not uh, already receiving that information. Um, Matt, stuff to add on to that too? I think you covered really well. I mean, the, the biggest thing I would say is that um, this, we have to think about how we want to be viewed as a profession. Um, we are being set up and, and information, healthcare information is starting to be shared a lot more easily among all healthcare professionals. Um, we have an opportunity here to make sure that what's important in the physical therapy community, um, functioning, activities and participation, is that going to be shared and is that going to be useful information to the patient and viewed as useful information to the patient? Will other healthcare providers start taking that information and, and using it and saying, okay, that's part of how I'm looking at the, the advancement of care for my patient if I'm the cardiologist or the orthopedic surgeon? Again, all of these different pieces in the physical therapy world, if you start lining it up and you start sharing things in a meaningful way, it's going to help demonstrate physical therapist value um, as they're, they're helping individuals move through the continuum of care. Well, I just wanted to add on to that because as we're thinking about that data flowing, one of the conversations that's come up in one of the groups that I'm involved with is that they need to go back and, and re-educate their, um, their clinicians, this was physicians in this case, that they need to document even better because patients might see the data. And, um, you know, that's always been there and Kara can address that a little bit more, but it is something at least for us to be aware of is that when data is flowing electronically, um, it is so much easier for those individuals to see that data. So uh, even more important for us just to be reminded uh, in terms of how we document and what we document um, and such. So, uh, Matt, I wanted to circle back because of something you mentioned um, when, when you were speaking. You, you, you mentioned electronic health information or EHI. Um, and I wanna sort of back up a little bit and explain this definition of EHI and um, this reference to something called the US Core Data for Interoperability. And I'm sure that most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with that. So um, start, I'll start with Matt. Why is it important for PTs and PTAs to be aware of this stuff? Well, Kara, if you go back and listen to some of the detail or think about the detail that Kara was offering about what the uh, electronic health information really is, the, the big hook of that is it starts getting into this fancy word of the United States core data for interoperability. And, and really what that is, is it says, okay, if we're going to talk about useful information to be shared, what is it? What are those categories of useful information? And that's really what the US CDI is, is aimed to help um, share. So it talks about things being data elements and then things being data classes. And you can think of data classes as being kind of your bigger buckets of information and data elements as the very specific things of information. And some of it's just straightforward. It's like, it says um, a big bucket of information would be patient demographics. So then what do you mean by patient demographics? You mean current address, previous address, 
and then sharing that in a way that's meaningful so one system can communicate with another system and actually understand what that is. It also starts going into things like allergies and intolerances, and it talks about um, whether or not you have problems and, and health concerns and all the different um, aspects of who your, your healthcare team is and who those members are and how to share that information regarding vital signs. So there's all these really specific pieces of, of information and how that's shared that one health care provider should be able to, to receive from one system and it goes to another system in a way that, that is really meaningful. Now, the origin of a lot of this came from what was called meaningful use, and, and that's usually where all the PTs kind of throw their hands up and say, well, I was left out of it, and, and because I was left out of it, I didn't get the incentives. And then they say, well, and but maybe the good part of that is I don't have the same um, penalties because the providers that are part of meaningful use, if they don't meet meaningful use, they had penalties. Well, what that really did, though, more than anything, is it set up an infrastructure, again, of how to share meaningful information. And what we you know, need to continue to look at as a profession is where does physical therapy fit into that sharing of useful information. Now, just a, a little bit more, and not that I've been too deep, but the CARE outlined kind of a process about when this is really going to start being meaningful and you have to share this information. And she talked about um, that level one, the USCDI level one information, and that being meaning to be shared by 2020. So that basically means that every system, every EHR system needs to actively be able to share that information. Well, there's a progression of that. So as time goes on, you're going to have what's now called um, the USCDI two, and that's kind of what's the next progression of this meaningful information and, and what does that look like? And then they have a process of getting into that next USCDI version um, and ways that we can make comments about what should be part of that level of information. And right now, um, function, functional status, things that we hold near and dear to our hearts as physical therapists, it's not part of that meaningful information that needs to be shared. So, you know, what does that mean? And, and my big red flag is, is if you don't share information about function, what we do as physical therapists, then again, it goes back to what we talked about before, what's helpful and what can other people look at and use, then this physical therapy start to become this ancillary profession that you just don't really have this, this understanding of, of function and it's not shared in a useful way from one healthcare provider to another healthcare provider. So I'm going to go ahead and pause there, and, and Bob, I'd like you know you have some things to add in there, but we could go on and talk about this for for hours. But uh, to give you more of a broad brush, I'll stop there. Well, and and I'll just add in a couple of things. One is it's it's really nice, Matt, that you, Dan, Weirman, and other PTs are involved in this process as much as you are, because um, as as mentioned, this really does matter to us. I will bring up that in the USCDI version one. Um, uh, underneath the progress notes section, physical therapy is actually called out in that definition. And that does mean that our uh, clinical notes are expected to be transferred and shared with this. Um, the information blocking rule, as I understand such, basically says that um, you, if you are a certified EHR, and it talks about that process of certified EHRs, that is on the vendor side. 
On the other side of it, though, has to do with us as providers. And a claim could be brought against any of us as a provider at any point in time saying that we are not sharing our data. And, and I think that that is something for us all to be aware of. Um, even if we are not personally using a certified EHR, that claim st can still be brought against us as a provider, in essence saying, hey, you've got to be able to give this data and you have to be able to share it. So um, I guess that's the only piece to add in. Bob, you mentioned um, what I think probably a lot of people are wondering about, which is the penalties and disincentives part of it. And the uh, uh, specifically the April 5th, 2021 compliance date. And and is that date set in stone? And is there any chance it'll get delayed further? Kara, do you know? Sure, thanks, Troy. So it's important to keep in mind that this rule was published in the Federal Register on May 1st, 2020. And the original compliance deadline for the information blocking regulations was intended to be November 2nd, 2020. Now, because there was the COVID-19 pandemic and recognizing that responding to the pandemic was a priority and information blocking rules may not have been a, as much of a priority uh, to ensure compliance with that by November 2nd, uh, HHS several days prior to the initial compliance deadline did announce that they would be extending the compliance deadline to April 5th. And at that time they said, we don't anticipate delaying it again uh, these rules are good for ensuring the exchange of information and uh, good for patient care. So we don't anticipate delaying the rule, but we have heard some chatter that the rule may in fact be delayed again, whether it's six months or a year. So it's something to monitor, but also keeping in mind, regardless of the information blocking rules, that individuals have a right to access protected health information in a designated record set under HIPAA. HIPAA generally requires covered entities to provide patients upon request with access to their protected health information. And this includes the right to inspect or obtain a copy of the protected health information. And they have a right to access this protected health information for as long as the information is maintained by the covered entity or business associate. And HHS at the federal level is actually responsible for investigating complaints where patients or their representatives may allege that a covered entity failed to respond to a patient's records access request. And if the covered entity is found to have violated the right of access rule, then they can be subject to a financial penalty. So irrespective of the information blocking rules, keep in mind that HIPAA is still in effect and those rules still apply, including providing patients with access to their protected health information. And on top of that, keeping in mind that states also require the sharing of information with patients and many states are more stringent than what HIPAA requires. And now for a quick break, accelerate your learning and celebrate a hundred years of our association by participating in the APTA Centennial Lecture Series that runs monthly through October. Each lecture will take place over two days and will provide 0.8 CEUs. Visit centennial.apta.org and register today. And now let's return to the show. 
Well, that's a, you know, that's an important issue because um, even if what you're saying is that even if these regulations don't go into effect on April 5th, the issues here are very core issues and very important issues that need to be uh, kind of uh, um, top of mind for PTs and PTAs. And uh, Bob and Matt, I'm wondering what about your thoughts about that? I mean, uh, just if if it should get delayed, should should PTs just kind of Put it out of their mind and not 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 worry about it or should they be you know acting and doing right now bob what do you think well i think a couple of things right off first off we've got to be ready right now um and a couple of things we talk about the april 5th deadline and and that comes just with what matt was describing with uc uscdi uh, data but there's also the october um, 5th deadline of 2022 which means anything that's stored electronically has to be shared. And so we've got multiple deadlines, but even outside of that, it comes back part to what Kara was saying is, regardless of whether this rule is in place or not, we still have the potential for, for penalties. And those penalties at this time can just be patients bringing a claim that they can't get their information. Um, if it's the true information blocking, it can be another provider who can say, hey, I need that data. So a difference in part of that, but right now patients can bring the argument that we're not giving them the data or that we're not giving it to them soon enough. So I think it's, uh, I don't think that we can put it off. I do think that we need to be ready. Um, Yes, I know the pandemic's going on. Yes, I recognize that vaccines right now, and those are things that are influencing the situation, and it may be delayed. But again, I, we need to be ready. I'm going to take a little different approach on this because I think uh, too often we think about the stick and the carrot and, and are too often thinking about the stick here. Um, what's the disincentive if you don't do it? I mean, if we step back a little bit, what's the incentive if you do do it? You actually give the patients the information they want. They actually become more of the person that's in charge of the health care. Is that really a bad thing? You know, we, we have an opportunity here. They, they have absolutely outlined data standards. They've outlined ways to make it really easy and efficient for healthcare providers to share information. And instead of dragging our feet saying, oh, you know, it's going to be too hard to do this or the, the putting back the standards or we can just wait to implement this. Why not go ahead and start using those, those opportunities now to share that information in a meaningful way? I mean, I still see patients, and when I'm seeing patients, I'm trying to get information about uh, how uh, a patient's going to have Botox injections, and I need to get the note from the physician. And the only way I have to get that right now is via fax. Well, half the time, my fax machine might not be working, or their fax machine may not work. There's a whole thing called direct secure message, and that information can come easily from one provider to another provider in a secure way. The technology's there. And for, for the EHRs out there and the, to say that, you know, what's going to be the minimum requirement for to meet, to meet this? Or the EHRs to say, I'm going to wait until I have to do this. It's just the wrong approach. And as we as providers have to start saying, we're not going to accept that. It's more important than that. It's more important to to be able to communicate with other healthcare providers, to be able to make sure the patients get the information they need so they can take control of their own care. So I would encourage people to recognize that the, the technology, um, it, it's being laid down. We know a clear path of how it's going to happen. We have an opportunity to get in front of this 
instead of waiting and playing catch up the entire time. Thanks, Matt. Those are uh, really important things to keep in mind, uh, especially the, the part about staying in front of it, staying on top of it. So, Kara, what has APTA been doing in this space in terms of advocacy? Sure. Thanks, Troy. The efforts to advance interoperability and exchange of electric health information has critical implications for the physical therapy profession, as Bob and Matt have alluded to. And APTA has invested significant staff and member time to help advance the priorities of the association as it relates to this policy area. So for instance, we've put forward policy recommendations and suggestions at both the federal legislative and regulatory levels to ensure the physical therapy profession's voice is represented. This includes responding to proposed rules, requests for information, different uh, proposed policies and guidance being proposed by different federal agencies. And the whole purpose has really been trying to ensure that we can obtain financial and technical assistance for non-physician providers, including physical therapists and long-term care providers to adopt and implement certified EHR technology while also ensuring that health IT developers have sufficient time to upgrade their technology. And aligned with this effort is we are continuing to educate policymakers about the fact that non-physician providers differ from their physician counterparts at the practice level in terms of the documentation and terminology they use and treatment interventions and billing and coding. So it's important that policymakers understand the distinct differences across the various professions. Now, currently, we are in the process of submitting comments on the second draft version of the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability, and we're responding to several of the proposed data elements related to care team members, encounter time and encounter type, and problems, and we've really been relying on input from members to help inform our comments. And actually, related to this effort, uh, we've been collecting feedback from members to ensure that functional status is included in the next version of the USCDI. So we've actually been collecting feedback from members regarding how function is being documented in an EHR and how such information is being exchanged among EHRs. Because to convince the Office of National Coordinator for Health IT to include functional status within a future version of the USCDI, we need to share evidence with ONC that functional status is being documented and being exchanged because ONC relies on this type of information in making a decision as to what data classes or data elements are included in the USCDI or not. And then finally, we also are always striving to ensure that we have a seat at the table and are part of key conversations. So staff and several members are actively participating in federally convened task forces and committees, as well as work groups convened by nonprofit organizations that are involved in data standards development and advancement of interoperable health information exchange. And then finally, as we've referenced earlier, we are, APTA is continuing to develop, to develop member-facing resources and tools on this subject and educate PTs and PTAs and physical therapy students via internal as well as external webinars. Yeah, and those um, 
resources just keep growing uh, and we are going to have more in the future. Uh, so if you want to really dig into the details, uh, visit our information blocking webpage at APTA.org. Just search the term information blocking in the website search bar. We've got uh, yeah webinar recordings, regulatory reviews, uh, detailed analysis of what it's all about, um, among a lot of other resources there. And as I said, there is more to come. So keep an eye on news articles from us and check back on the web page often. And if you want to keep up with all of the activity going on in, the, in payment relative to physical therapy, sign up for our Friday Focus monthly collection of payment related articles and resources. It's delivered direct to your inbox on the fourth Friday of every month, all for free. Just search for email preferences in the search bar at apta.org and sign up. It's really pretty easy. So as I threatened to do, I've got one more question for everybody. And I just wanna do a kind of a quick round robin. So what I'd like is for each of you to share any closing thoughts. So let's start with Matt. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing to keep thinking about over and over here is, is that it's always the time to act is now. It's, you know, you can look at opportunities, but, but really, I mean, this is, we're at the cusp here and and information is important to be able to be shared and used. And, you know, APTA is doing a great job of, of communicating um, and helping members understand what that uh, information, where your opportunities are to, to share that information and coordinate that. But, but you as a provider, you as um, uh, an individual need to take that action. And, and again, say we can do more, we can do better. So I think I'll leave it at that, that um, we, we can do better. The information is out there. And, and let's just start using that technology to, to help do what matters and help the patient. What about you, Kara? Well, I'll be brief. Just in terms of information blocking, I think one of the ideas that I would just like to convey at the conclusion of this podcast is that whether you're a covered entity or not, such as a cash-based practice that doesn't take insurance, Healthcare providers, health IT developers of certified health IT, and health information networks and exchanges are subject to the information blocking rules. So if you are one of these actor types, and you should explore the definition of each actor, which we have references to in our resources, if you receive a request for access, exchange, or use of electronic health information, you need to respond in a timely manner, and any sort of delays or other unnecessary impediments could implicate the information blocking provisions. Thanks. And Bob, we'll wrap up with you. Thank you. I guess a couple of things that I would say in the first one is uh, I'm involved in several different organizations and APTA is really ahead on this. And I really appreciate that uh, fact. I like the resources that have been put together and I'm happy that they're uh, continue to get added to. It's just really neat seeing what's there. I guess the last thing is all of this with information blocking with the interoperability rule uh, really comes back to what Matt and Kara have just mentioned. It's, it's really a possibility to make data meaningful such that meaningful use can really be in place. And I think we all can be involved with that. Thanks, Kara, Matt, and Bob. This was really informative. As a final reminder, be sure to visit our information blocking webpage for more information and to keep up with developments as they arise. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, 
or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening.